0: Welcome to the minimalist CEO podcast with Nate Lindquist. Nate created the minimalist CEO method to help business owners redefine and grow their businesses by finding new demand in places they never thought to look where there's no competition. By following his opposite thinking strategy, Nate's coaching clients have grown their business up to 40% in just two months and created tens of millions of dollars in revenue. Nate himself has launched more than 140 businesses. On the show, Nate interviews successful business owners and experts who share the secrets you can use to have a better business and a better life.
1: Hi, this is Nate Lindquist. Welcome to uh, episode number seven of the Minimalist CEO podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Real quick, a little bit of background on this guy. He's the president of All American Restoration and um he's in a tough space so uh because a lot of people think they know what that is but the way he's doing it is so incredibly unique and different he's known as the mold medic and becoming known as that through his book the mold medic an expert's guide to mold removal welcome michael rubino to the minimalist ceo podcast oh thank you so much for having me nate yeah no absolutely thanks for being here now you're in a challenging space man like You're a young guy. Uh, We're going to learn more about how you got into the business. you got a great team. You're you're doing business in the millions. You're helping a lot of people. But a lot of people think they know what business you're in. And I think, let's face it, the the restoration space is a jack-of-all-trades business where they're like, I can fix that. Oh, water damage, no problem. Oh, fire. Oh, you had a storm. So um, if you could tell us about yourself, how you got started in your mold remediation business, and let's get down to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, my dad has been a restoration contractor for 25 years. And what he does primarily is fire restoration. So as you mentioned, yeah, there's a big disparity about which type of restoration you want to go in, you want to do all of them, you want to do some of them. For me, you know, I I wanted to select a niche and go with that. And uh, I moved back home right around when Hurricane Sandy. And when I say move back home, it means I came from completing college back to the area my parents were in. And, um, you know, I said I wanted to work for my dad and, and kind of learn more about what he did. And construction was always uh, curious to me because, let's face it, if you're a handy guy, things are a lot easier in life when it comes to owning a home, right? Mm-hmm. So I, as I started diving in, um, you know, I started seeing a lot of mold, uh, a lot of remediation that, that needed to take place. And I, I started uh, basically heading up this whole sector of mold remediation for my dad's company, which was called JMC Contracting and little by little i started going to homes and uh i was the the first guy at the door doing the estimate managing the process uh you know going from a to z it was helpful that my college roommate uh, was in the mold space as well he was doing mold testing and so you know i would i would basically get some jobs from him i got some jobs through just my dad being in business for so long And, and i really started to hone my craft one of the things that really prompted me to focus more on mold is, is this job. I'll never forget in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I'm at this woman's house and she's really, really sick. And she's telling me how she just had remediation done a, a year prior, right at the onset of hurricane Sandy. It was just one of these big national companies kind of flew in, you know, like they always do when there's a big storm, they'll come in for this relief. And um, well, there's so much pressure on the restoration space when you have a big storm like that. You know, you're, you're trying to get in and get out as fast as you can to help the next person, and I can understand that type of pressure. Unfortunately, in this particular project, the remediation was done subpar, and uh, we had to go back in and re-remediate. And so it became a common theme where every couple customers I would get would, would say they had remediation done in Sandy, and what we started to see is that you know, for someone who becomes sensitive one way or another, they, they actually need a little more care than what the industry standards are. And I can dive into that as as much or as little as you'd want to. But, uh, you know, basically, we started really focusing on that niche. After a couple of years, the sector I was building in the remediation space, it became just too much to handle within Mm -hmm. the same umbrella as my dad's company. Happened to have this opportunity kind of fall into my lap. It was a company called All-American Waterproofing that was looking to sell and get out. So I uh, made an offer to buy the business. We sat down, came up with an agreement. And um, All-American Waterproofing quickly became All-American Restoration. And that was just uh, May of 2017. Here we are, October 2020. Yeah. And things have really taken off, and I couldn't be more excited to tell you guys about it.
1: Yeah, this is great. So it's amazing. You're a young guy. You're in your 30s right now, and, and you got out of school. You decided to join your dad's business, a family business. And what was your degree, and how does one end up interested in construction? and moving in that direction like what did you have you got your degree in college yes so i got my degree in marketing which okay.
0: you know obviously in marketing everyone who's a business owner needs to understand marketing right
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it definitely wasn't in uh you know building science or microbiology right mm-hmm. and i think i uh, i spent some years in marketing and obviously i helped my dad with marketing looking at new technology versus how things were 25 years ago but I quickly really just got into the the nitty gritty of the family business in restoration, and I started realizing that I I really enjoyed that more than I, than I enjoyed marketing.
1: You say that you, you you know you come from marketing. I'm not surprised. I'm just going to go back to what you said earlier. Yeah, sure. You said you you got in and you knew you had to choose a niche. So that's that is a, an intelligent statement to make. Now I know choosing a niche means choosing at that time choosing what you were going to be interested in. Yes. But also choosing what the business was going to focus on. Is that right? That's true.
0: Yeah. You're right there.
1: Yeah. So, and I think also, I also noticed a fascination. You're talking about going to a a woman's house during, was it Hurricane Sandy? Is that what you said? Well, it was shortly after Hurricane Sandy, but yes, that
0: was the the main culprit that caused the damage that she was
1: concerned. And she had mold and you had, and you talked about re-remediating. So it's interesting because I think about with minimal CEO, the number, of businesses who have been using Band-Aid solutions, who have been doing hope marketing, gambling, hoping that they're going to improve and scale their business. And that's when I get the call at Minimalist. You know, I'm a contract CEO, a growth advisor, and I work with companies to turn around, to scale, to grow. And what I find most of the time, most of the time, is that everyone's being informed about what they can do with their marketing, but they're not being told What's the root cause? And that always goes back to helping systems. How can you help more people? Is it really helping? So I'm looking at what you were doing, and I think you had that figured out really quick that just because someone had a remediation didn't mean that it was done right, that it worked, that it was getting the results. And you saw a, a sick woman in her home and you cared. So you have a bit you have a caring use' your feelers out there to care for people in a business. Let's just face it. When you look at the restoration space, it's not exactly the touchy-feely, let me care about you and your family kind of business. So tell me about, let's just go in here. How did you start to shift gears into becoming this niche re-remediation service for mold and said like, this is a health issue. Like, I got to care about this health.
0: Well, it started there. um, And then I started seeing this pattern where uh, I'd get a call, somebody would have maybe hives all over them brain cognitive difficulties, you know, a range of systems that uh, symptoms that can accompany mold exposure and some of the byproducts that mold can create. Mm-hmm. And when I started seeing this pattern, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know, this can't be a fluke, right? This has to be a real thing because this is happening way too often for it to not be a real issue. And I started honing in on that. And, you know, I, I called, uh, my, my college roommate at the time, um, you know, Corey Levy. I called his father, who's also been in the mold space for 20 years, and that's he's he's basically a pioneer in the industry of what he does. And uh, you know, I, I started asking questions. You know, why is this happening? How does this happen? And you know, they started explaining to me how how things were working and what they were doing and why they were doing it.
1: Are you talking about from the mold perspective or from the property, or maybe a little bit of both?
0: I'm talking about you know from from the mold perspective and how it could impact somebody's health. You know? Okay. So you're,
1: you're going into a situation, you're actually looking at a segment of the restoration space, mold remediation, and you're starting to deep dive saying, I want a diagnosis here. What these houses are sick. Is that you're finding yep, yep. houses that are sick and the sick house is making people sick. Is that right? That's exactly correct. So you're, you're in a lot of ways. It, it's, it's funny. Your book's called it's uh was it, let me just look at the mold medic, right? Yep. So you're now going in with, <laughs> with your medical bag, saying, like, first of all, you're telling me these things that you're seeing, you're also having these things in your health. At what point do you start to feel tooled up that you can start to speak to these things with customers?
0: Well, I think probably a year, about a year into it, you know I, I really it, once I became passionate of it, you know for me, um, anything that I'm passionate about, I, I get obsessed with it. And I, I started diving into this. I started meeting with doctors, talking to doctors, seeing if they had clients who had the same problem where they felt that their home was making them sick. Um, I started to ask them questions. You know, what is it about mold that makes them sick? You know, I started to learn about mycotoxins, which is a byproduct that mold creates. It's like a self-defense mechanism. It, It creates this toxin. The word myco stands for fungus and toxin. Everybody knows it creates something that enters the body that actually produces a toxic effect and I started looking at this and I I would have never guessed five years ago, you know, prior to me starting this, that mold produces toxins. You know, it's just something you never hear about. I mean, when I look at, when I look back at mold in a snapshot in time, I look back at the way people used to do things, right? It was throw bleach on it, paint over it, right? It's no big deal. And there was never really this, this massive concern for the health effects that mold can create. And I think this led me down this path of really trying to understand, were we wrong? Am I, am I, am I going down a path that doesn't need to be be gone down? And by learning more information and by talking to the clients and you know, when I walked into somebody's house, I wouldn't just assume they were sick or lying or whatnot. I would ask them questions. What are you experiencing? Right. And I would, I would start to correlate that with other clients and the data just started lining up, you know, it's like cognitive difficulties, allergy, like symptoms, you know, skin reactions. And, did and you talk
1: like, to, uh, Did you talk to any medical universities? Any doctors? Did you talk to any healthcare practice? Yeah, yeah. So one of the
0: one of the biggest doctors who happens to be you know very uh, well known in the mold space. Her name's Tanya Dempsey, and um, I, I got to know her by actually her having a flood in her own house and having some mold issues in her house. Wow. And 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 I got I got to not only do the project for her, but I got to really understand like every what she's treating people for binders and all all the different types of of supplements that they'll put their clients on to help detox mold from their body and one of the things we we realized was you know just like it'll make sense when i explain it to you from a logical standpoint but if the client's being treated by a doctor but they keep going home at night where the mold keeps entering the body so as quickly as they're getting rid of it from the body it's just entering back in So, we started to, the doctors started to realize, hey, remediation for a health, from a health perspective, especially someone who's sensitive and who's being treated for mold, they need to have their house remediated. And so, we started, you know, working with doctors across the country, this awareness, and it basically created this need to remediate properly. And so, you know, we're helping drive the change that's needed in our industry by really educating people that yes, mold can affect your health, number one, and number two, it's gotta be remediated right in the right manner, especially if you're sensitive to mold. And you know, there's autoimmune disorder, there's Sears, there's all these different classifications that would make you sensitive to mold, right? So there's an internal body function that happens first and then you become sensitive to it.
1: And now your business is sensitive to it, which and means are Yeah, that's brilliant. So what as you're talking about this, getting this insight from a doctor, Imagine the irony that this doctor, who's an expert in mold, it now has water, a flood in her house, and you get to have these conversations. Um, one One of the things that we talk about a lot in the Minimal CEO Method is this idea of new demand, getting away from the competition. And I think you've really hit the nail on the head. One is the seven new demand gold mines, and there's seven questions that we teach our clients to ask that just open up their mind beyond the normal business. And You've already started to do that. You've already started to look at that. And it's, it's the kind of, I guess, diagnosing the things that most people ignore when it comes to building a business that actually helps. A lot of people are like, just sell more of this, go do more remediation. But instead of going to do more and get more projects, it sounds like you've gone deeper to make the work that you're doing more helpful, more quality, more meaningful. And um, now you also talked about your passion for it. So you do you feel like with what you're doing, you've moved from being in a business to being on a quest?
0: Yeah, I, I like when I wake up in the morning, I'm excited to get up and go to work. You know, and it's that's I think that's that's something you have to be really uh, passionate about because everybody knows what it's like to basically you know get up and go to work and you know not really feel like they're an important figure, like they anything that they're doing is really productive. And I think that's really important. The fact that if you're not happy in what you do, you're never gonna be as successful as you possibly could than if you were to find something that you know would <laughs> would make you excited about. It.
1: Yeah, that gets you excited, you're on that. So in something that we, that, uh, that you're speaking to, it, it's very close to what I call discovering your true gifts and your calling. You've got the business piece, you've found out, you've become fascinated with helping people, you found a place that you wanna really dig down and share your gifts. It's called. It, now I'm gonna. Ask, can I ask you the questions of the gifts formula criteria to see if this sure. satisfy? I find out if you satisfy the gifts criteria in any business, you're positioned to grow uh, dramatically. Now you've you've more than uh, doubled your business each year. You're on track to almost double it this year. You're in the multiple millions at this point. You got a lot of happy customers. So let me ask the questions. Let's. See. It seems like you're you're hitting you're striking gold with the gifts formula. So let's look at this. if you pass this criteria. You're in good place. Okay. The first question of the gifts formula criteria is what you're doing, causing you to give and causing you to grow. Yes. Okay. That's good. Is what you're doing inspiring you? So thoughts break their bonds, dormant forces and faculties come alive and become a person far greater than you ever imagined yourself to be. And when information comes along that tells you otherwise, circumstances come along, along that hold you up, your inspiration carries you through to do the work.
0: I would say, oh my God, yes to that one, because I would have never imagined myself as a published author at this point in time.
1: <laughs> okay, this is good. Published author. And and the thing is, too, what I see here is you're, uh, you're bringing what you're doing to the world. I, I almost see your business as a, a, a restoration and remediation. But then I also see there's a massive public service, public awareness campaign here that's needed, not just oh, to yeah. do your business, but because, like, hey, people, other people in this space, they need to know what. Their work may not be accomplishing and they might need your help for that. And that's something that we could talk about. That's one of those gold mines. They don't know the damage that they might be causing by not knowing the whole story. And that's true.
0: It's really true. I mean, the the information that we're that we're giving out is is really game changing. You know, Mm -hmm. we I, I did a conference at the Indoor Air Quality Association this past year. And, you know, basically it's it's an industry type of conference where other industry professionals go there and everyone. I was a keynote speaker where I got to talk about what I'm doing and how, you know, I've adapted the industry to really service this subset of the population that needs it. And, you know, th- the way the way in which they were looking at me, you can tell it's like, ah, I don't really want to learn new tricks. I like what I'm doing. I've been doing it for 25, 30 years, and I don't really see in this, you know, necessity to change. Yeah. And I think that way of thinking, you know, is really going to, not going to benefit people in the industry, because I, I see that what we're doing, the positive impact we're making to the environment around us, I really see this catapulting and being something where it's we, we go from a, you know, a small niche now to later on, it's like almost I'm not working with anybody else type of mm-hmm. scenario. And, and obviously, there's going to be other companies that are going to get into this as, as things start to track and catch on. But it's really cool that we're able to help inspire the change and, and be a part of that.
1: Well, and I think there's something powerful in setting the standard. So we have the G is good. The I is good. The F is in the gives gifts criteria, back to that, is uh, focus. Are you willing to focus on only this? Do your one thing that ends doing makes everything else easier and necessary? That's a quote from the One Thing book, which I love. Or you could talk about essentialism. The idea, is this the necessary few? Are you willing to focus only on this and say no to just about everything else so you can absolutely master it?
0: Absolutely. So there was there was a point in time where I had other businesses that I that I started and incorporated, and the idea was, well, I, I followed this old adage of, you know, you need multiple streams of revenue to make it in this world, right? And and that was that was a measure of success. And I started to realize, man, if I want to if I want to grow this thing to a to a national level, um, like like we've been kind of slowly doing, it's gonna take a lot more time and effort than I'll I'll ever be able to imagine. I have no time to work on other things. So all these other ideas that have popped in my head that are, you know, sound ideas. um, I've just said, you know what, forget it because this needs all my attention if if I'm gonna grow this thing.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. So you got the F down, the focus. So the next is T. This is a loaded one, tools, talents, and teams. Now there's a principle behind this. Uh, it's the idea is, are you willing to be resourceful instead of having limited resources? And the the way that I describe it in the minimalist CEO, predictable demand method is asking, when you ask how you get stuck, it's like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to solve this? We automatically want to go get a book. We want to go, it's like, wait a minute, if this isn't my gift, if this isn't what I was put here to do, if this isn't my quest, my calling, my one thing, if this isn't, this isn't what I was supposed to put on this earth to, to help other people in my helping system, then I need to ask who instead of how. So if you look at how, how is huge overwhelm and waiting, which I love. I, like like, I love. I love acronyms. I love analogies and metaphors. But for teaching, a teaching tool, how means huge overwhelm and waiting. And the number of times where I see people teaching a course, teaching a program, but you find out like in many, many spaces uh, that they teach a course, like digital marketing, or they teach a course in you know a certain trade. Most people that take a course dabble.
0: Yeah, that's a very true.
1: small percentage that actually do anything effective with it to, to attain the objective that they'd set out to accomplish when they signed up for the course. So learning is a delayer. Now, I'm not saying you don't want to learn, you don't want to grow, but it should be all focused on this one space. So if I'm looking at when I'm team building in any company, whether it's a half million dollar company, a startup or a $20 million company, I'm always looking at, is this the one thing? And then um, I say, who can help out? Who can we plug in? who's already getting world-class results in this space. So the T for you, the question is, are you willing to access tap into tools, talents, and teams where they're gonna be better at it than you are, where you can get resources from far beyond your experience level, your skill level, where you can have some world-class people just win the day they start?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I can't claim to know every single thing there is about my industry, mold, microbiology, or a business owner, right? And so I think you always need to bring you always need to surround yourself with people who are better than you, who are smarter than you, that you can learn from. If mm-hmm. you're the smartest person in the room at all times, you're never gonna learn and grow, right? And we as human beings always need to keep expanding, right? And and that's it. If you don't expand, you can track. So I have a business consultant right now who he basically is more of a, an accountability coach, I would sure. say. And what he does is every two weeks we get we hop on about an hour call. And um, you know, he makes sure that. I'm on deadline for all the things that I was supposed to complete between between those two weeks where we talk, right? Mm-hmm. And so just having that part of it has been really tremendous for me because as you know, being a business owner, if you don't get out of bed that day, nobody's there to hold you accountable or fire you, right? You need somebody that's going to really keep you focused, right? And keep you um, on, on target to really... Meet your deadlines and continue to grow the business. So I would say absolutely. I mean, I'm I am open to surrounding myself with with people like yourself who can help in ways that I never thought possible.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I, I'm always looking for for new new things and and looking to expand, continue to expand.
1: Awesome. Now that's the kind of open mind I, I notice when the best leaders surround themselves with people smarter than they are in places where you know what that's not your one thing. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. Okay, well, so I, let's let's go to the S then. The S is yeah. service. Are you willing to ask a question? How may I serve? And is what you are giving and doing for the world right now your absolute best, highest, and best use of resources to serve the world?
0: I think so. Um, yeah, like I said, what we're doing is is really an untapped niche. Um, so I think it's it's much it's really needed. And as far as service goes, just just so you can understand the type of person I am. I'll lose money on a project to make sure that we guaranteed to deliver what we promised them. And it's happened before, right? Because we're, we're in, we're in microbiology. We're in sort of an unknown. We'll, we'll have a project where we promise that person we're going to solve their problems. Here's the amount, this is the contract. And maybe when we, when the post-test comes back, there's still a slight elevation somewhere. We have to go in and find it and do extra work than we, than more than what we thought we had to do. Yeah. And for me, servicing the client is the most important thing, right? So money is the secondary. The money always comes if you do what you say you're going to do and actually solve somebody's problem. So mm-hmm. service to me is, is more important than actually making money. And that's, I think if when people lose sight of that and they they focus too much on on making money, mm-hmm. they end up doing things that that undercut their service, right? And I think that's, For me, that's something that I'm not interested in. I I will shut our doors before we lose our quality
1: of service. Awesome. So that leads me to this. At some point, you had to make the decision. I call it the S curve. But at some point, you had to make the decision to invest your time and your energy and even your team in going down the path of this mold remediation, the deep dive, really, really re-restoring homes. Did you have a moment where you're like, whoa, this is taking more time and more money, and it's happened on more than one job? Uh, we're losing money right now. We've got to get this. We got to sharpen the saw here. Did you ever have that? Oh, happen?
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so give, us, know, give
1: us an example. You don't have to tell us where or who. Sure. Tell us a story of when that happened. And what did you do to course correct? Because I notice and I'm noticing a pattern in, in business owners when they, they're they like, hey, listen, <laughs> you know, my job is to get the feedback. It's not to always get it right. It's to to get it a little better each time. So at what take me through the story when you got to that situation and what did you do what happened.
0: Okay so basically what had happened was we we had this project we estimated it it took way longer than we anticipated and again uh, because we honor our agreements we didn't go back and ask the client for more money i mean that, that's not right right we honored our agreement and we lost and and the, the amount we lost was actually about $30,000. And that's a lot. I mean, just so you have a frame of reference, the project was a $60,000 project. So we had a 50% loss. So naturally, you know, we, we realized we had to quickly turn things around because if that becomes a pattern, you're out of business. Right? So um, one thing about us and what I do um, is I graph everything. So I graph our sales each month. So I can see, make sure the trajectory is going in the right place. And when, when the graph takes a dip, the first thing I look at is, you know, why did this take a dip and how do we turn things around quickly? The other thing is I actually, I actually calculate things based upon time and material. Right. And and when, when a project's bid out to be a 15 day project, every single project I put 15 days was the estimate. And then I put, what was the actual, and I'll look and I'll see what our average cost per day is and things like that. And I'll look at our net profit or net loss. And I look at it for every job And, and it goes the reverse too. When you're making, you know, an exorbitant gain on a project, you're at 80% profit margin or something. You know, you want to look and say, hey, how, how could I be more fair? You know, what, what did I do differently that, that, you know, we're not looking to, to kill anybody here. And, and so I look at, at both sides of the spectrum, really. On the bottom side of the spectrum, we lose a 50% gain on a, on a job. We're like, holy cow. What I realized there um, in that specific scenario, we didn't bid enough time. We definitely didn't. There was a lot of unknowns there. And we, we need to, you know, as a company, you need to give yourself some wiggle room, right? We get we left ourselves no wiggle room. In fact, it took almost twice as long as we'd, we'd anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is, unfortunately, we had some challenges there uh, based upon our process. And, you know, our process, it, it was working, you know, 99% of the time. And except for in certain climates, we realized that the sheathing, what they use in construction on the outside of the house was, was more of a particle board and a particle board is going to be a lot more porous than, than plywood. And so we realize, you know, we, we have to inspect the outside of the house as well as inspect the inside. When you get this mold report, it tells you, you know, what has to be done on the inside. And so it's easy to neglect what the house is made of or what things are like on the outside. And so what we've done is we've added that, that layer of protection by inspecting the outside to make sure that We're removing as many of the unknowns as possible because in restoration, you're, you're opening up walls. You don't know what you're going to find hundred percent of the time when you open up that wall. So there are, there is a bit of unknowns that that you're challenged with, but the key is to really take out as many of those unknowns as you possibly can by doing a thorough inspection at the forefront. And and since we've tweaked that and tweaked some of our process regarding that, we haven't had a, a massive
1: loss like that. That's huge. You know, it's funny. I think it's and tell me what you think about this. It seems like the getting hungry to identify and remove unknowns, and then also not bidding a project just to sell it, but to bid it so you can sufficiently do it. I've noticed those are two major areas of problems in especially in the construction space. It's the margins are too tight, time margins are too tight, so overpromising and underdelivering, and then not leaving enough profit to be able to have the cash flow to sustain the business in between projects. So I've noticed those. I'm hearing that pattern with you. The question that I have would be, well, what advice would you give to a business owner in construction, restoration, any service business where they maybe they've had some of the losses like you've had? Yeah. And now they see projects coming in and they're free to lose these bids because they're like, we got to get some cash in the door. We're going to be out of business. But then they get a pattern of tight margins, saying yes to jobs that keep their teams really busy and not not having enough of the of the cushion so they can you know so they can sustain. What what advice would you give them? What have you learned that you could just pass on because I'm seeing that as a common problem and yeah. uh, I want to see what what you would do with that. So interesting
0: enough, you know, as I told you earlier in my story, we ended up buying this business, kind of revamping it, changing it and and one of the things I noticed is exactly what you just mentioned they were bidding on everything they can get in front of and were were leaving themselves with such tight margins and there's something to be said for being the cheapest guy also right so when when you're when you're a client and you're getting bids from other companies most people don't want to go with the cheapest bid they try to go for the middle guy and you have to be good at sales to be the top guy and, and 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 get that award and we know that you so for me the first thing that I said was we're raising our prices we're doing things way too cheap we're having to cut too many corners to make money on this and honestly it's just not it's just not ethical right so that was the the major thing and, and everybody fought me right we had we had a, a director of operations that came with the company and the first thing he said was uh, hey man I think that you know raising prices it's hard enough to get these guys work as it is you know we're gonna we're gonna run this thing into the ground
1: young and- snapper
0: what are you doing <laughs> And I was like, Hey man, just trust me. Just trust me. You know? And now, now it's funny. We have this amazing (laughs) dynamic because it took off, (laughs) you know, because we were no longer the cheapest guy. We were, we were the middle guy or sometimes even the the most expensive guy. And, And that's okay. I mean, for us now where we're at now, I mean, we're known as the most expensive company in the mold remediation space. And you know what? We own it. It's okay. It's yeah. okay to be expensive because. Were you nervous,
1: You're shaking, shaking it up when you got into the company the first time to say, "Listen, we're changing the way we're doing things." You
0: know what? I was nervous. I hope nervous. I'm right. I hope I'm right. <laughs> I, I was, I was nervous, but I, I had this, I don't know, this intuition almost like, mm-hmm. you know what? We're going to deliver a better product, so it's okay. We can justify being expensive if you actually nail, nail the service end of it, right? If they get a better product, if the service is impeccable, they'll be happy to pay for it, you know, and. I I really, that's the best advice I can give on this subject is don't shoot yourself in the foot, you know, know what you're worth, figure out what your product is and explain why you're more expensive. You know, once I decided I'm not competing with the rest of the industry, I'm going to be a cut above the industry. That's when I really started to take off because there was a need for that. You know, nobody, when you're in the same pond doing the same thing everyone else is doing with the same pricing, you're not standing out you know, and, and everyone's just going to go with whatever estimator seemed to be the nicest guy that day, you know, and, and that's not where you want to be. You want to build a brand, you want to build a reputation. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's scary to be different. But honestly, it's, it's what, what I focused on since day one, and, and I've had tremendous success with. So I'm happy that I took that chance and, and made that, that decision.
1: That's huge. I, I love it. You know, you, this is something that you said that I think if everyone took out their pen and wrote this down, uh, the first thing you did, young guy taking over a company, raise the prices, uh, decide what you stand for. So the brand that, and, and make sure it aligns with the priorities of the marketplace. Obviously that's what a brand's job is to do. Sure. Explain what makes you worth it, understand it, stand behind it. Don't give in on that. And, uh, and then create a reputation that you do what you say you're going to do. This is great advice. And so to have that at a young age, when you took over the business and then go after it, have some of those early mistakes. When did you know that you were finally making it?
0: When did I know we were finally making it? Um,
1: you know yet? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's so funny because when you grow, you just keep growing, right? And you, I was, I was having this conversation the other day with a friend of mine. I was like, you know, I feel like there's no point in time where you actually stop and smell the roses. Mm-hmm. Because... When when you hit when you hit a goal and you reach some sort of plateau, right? Yep. The first thing you think of is, I got to make a new goal. I need a new plateau. Like for me, and I'm sure a lot of business owners are like that. You're really never satisfied. But mm-hmm. I think after that first year, watching that 100 growth, I realized I was onto something, and I realized that that was that was the momentum I I wanted to build upon,
1: mm-hmm. and I was
0: onto something. Um, so you know, and I still think that. I still think that every day. I don't think I've made it. I could probably be doing a hundred million dollars a year and would still be like I didn't make it yet, you know, because it's it's business. It's it's this constant expansion. You you don't you just sky's the limit, you know, and you keep building.
1: That's huge. That's awesome. Well, I have, I have before we wrap it up, we're we're having so much fun. I think we're just slightly over the time, but it's it's well worth. it. I think our listeners will appreciate it. Um, you have a book coming out, uh, that has to do with mold removal, the mold yeah. medic, an expert's guide to mold removal. And, uh, I think that, uh, first of all, I'm looking forward to getting a copy of that because I think that knowing that I had mold in my house growing up, I had issues with uh, respiratory issues that for a time that were related to that. But could you tell us a little bit about the, uh, about the book?
0: Yeah. So the, the book is called the mold medic and what it is actually is really, it documents my journey into the mold space and what i've seen and uh i'll give you guys some snippets here um the first chapter is called honda versus mercedes Mm. and not to give so much away about the book but i'll dive in really briefly um that that whole chapter was written because uh i lost out on a bid with a client which is really funny because i had bid on her other house and i had gotten that bid but uh, this time, I guess she just figured, hey, we'll hire a local company. We'll take care of it. No problem. Unfortunately, it, it did not go well. It, the, the project failed and she had me come in to kind of analyze and figure out what had happened. So I was there as a, on a consulting basis only. I sit down with this guy. I'm looking over the project and I'm like, hey, this is not, I mean, it has all the red flags of, of this guy has no idea what he's doing, right? And I'm sitting at the table with them and I'm asking him some questions like, how long have you been doing this? He's like, oh, I've been in business 30 years. I do mold remediation, you know, for 30 years. And that's all I do. And, you know, so I started asking him some questions like, well, why did you do this? You know, and for instance, in mold remediation, when you're doing the final encapsulation process, you want it to be monolithic, right? You want it to be all even one surface. What this guy did was he took a like a 50 cent paintbrush from Home Depot and basically painted the underside of the beams only. So if you look at a beam it's going to have four sides, the underside, the side, each you know, left side, right side and the top side, right? So he painted just the underside. So it's not monolithic, it's not actually doing anything. So I asked him about that. And his response was well, we're like the Honda of remediation and you're like the Mercedes of remediation. And there's really, you know, it, it, you both, they both get you in the same place, but you have a different way of doing things. It's definitely more technical and professional, but, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I don't really see anything wrong with that. And so, you know, I, I talk about this story in the, in the, and give a lot more information on the first chapter, but it, it really dives into what's wrong with the industry really what, what types of mold there are, uh, wh- how they can impact your health. I have a whole chapter in there, but Dr. Michael Biamonte had given me a lot of information in regards to how it can impact the body and how to detox it from the body and things like that. So I've, have, I've have a whole ton of information from him that gives our clients some, some information on how to heal the body. And then it talks about what causes mold, you know, things to check for in your house um, how to find a, a good mold inspector in your area, how to find a good remediation contractor in your area, like what sort of questions to ask them, what to look for. And it really guides you through, if you have mold, how you can deal with it, you know? And Are they not not certified, in.
1: man? Because if yeah. they're not Michael Rubino certified, why would we want to call them? That's true. You know,
0: if they're not Michael Rubino certified, you know, you, you, at least you could buy this book and figure out what questions to ask for to make sure that they're going to give you the best success at at handling the home,
1: you know? I think it's brilliant. I think the book's important. I'm going to be looking forward to having my copy as soon as I possibly can because yeah. I want to share it with people, with friends, family, people out in uh, who I know and care about. And um, I think probably the best pe- thing people could find in the book is if there's a reference to how to get in touch with your company. So I think that might be the first piece of research. Um, speaking of that, uh, now that we've covered so much ground, if people wanted to get in touch with you, now that we've had this, obviously we can put it down in the show notes, but where would they go if they had questions for you? They wanted to learn more, they wanted, I mean, obviously they can go to your company website, right? The- uh, sure. All American so like
0: Restoration. Restoration.com, kind mm-hmm. of a mouthful, I apologize for that. They can also email me at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, mm-hmm. at restoration.com. And okay. that's that's the best way to get in touch with me. It actually links with my cell phone, so I get I get the emails. As long as I'm not in a meeting, obviously I, I, I respond back very quickly. And, um, you know, I, I'd say introduce yourself, get in touch with me that way. And then, you know, we can always uh, set up calls to discuss more.
1: Well, I apologize in advance for the fact that you just gave out your email address on the podcast where 10 uh, to people. Are- okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: you can you always- know I, I'm always looking to connect with as many people as I can. So that'd be great if, if somebody feels <laughs> that they want to uh, reach out to me. I'm, I'm very excited to hear from you.
1: Uh, that's awesome. So. All right. Well, perfect. I'm glad that we had the chance to have this interview. Michael, um, if there's anything else that I didn't ask, let's just do it. I'm going to I'm gonna do this a la Tim Ferriss style as a, as a, a fan of uh, him and his crew. I'm just going to say if there's a billboard and you can put anything you want on a billboard that you could share with the world and maybe with others who maybe they're in their small service business space. So you're going to hit high traffic business highway with your billboard. What would you put on the billboard?
0: Now, I have a follow up question for you. Am I advertising to gain more business or am I just advertising any message I want?
1: Any message that you want. Okay. It's not a marketing message. I mean, unless you want it to be, it could be, it's really up to you. But I think it's like, hey, listen, you're going to have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people a month seeing this billboard driving by. You know what?
0: You want- Honestly, here's what I would say. Um, because I'm trying to be more philanthropic. I have a uh, foundation that hopefully will launch soon that's going to give back. I'd say this billboard should say, believe in yourself and trust the process. Because if I didn't believe in myself, you know, many years ago, I honestly would never be here. And, you know, to write this book even, right? I mean, growing up, I had English class, I, I wrote, I wrote, and the English teacher said I was pretty good but I never thought, I, nobody ever told me you were, Hey, you need to be an author. Right. And it never crossed my mind, but I had information that I needed to get out there that I needed people to, to read and understand. And, and I needed to educate people on what's happening in this space. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a book and I believed in myself and I trust the process and I, and I got it done. So I'd say, believe in yourself, trust the process is what I'd want to, what I'd want to advertise out there. And I think that, um, if enough people believe in themselves and they really just trusted the process of doing everything you need to do every single day, like it's your last day and, and keep moving forward, th- then I think everybody would be well off and, and we would live in a much better world.
1: Michael, this has been an awesome interview. Again, for everyone listening, I just want to share with you, uh, I'm really glad that everybody had the chance to spend the time with us here at the Minimal CEO Podcast. Thank you, Michael Rubino, for being our guest. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, Nate. Yep, you bet. This is Nate Lindquist with the Minimalist CEO Podcast. And thanks for listening. We'll look for you in the next episode. And in the meantime, believe in yourself, trust in the process, and do what you say you're going to do. And why don't you cut something away that isn't necessary? Add something that has huge helping value and then see if it's helping. We'll talk to you soon.